This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for November 3rd, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen. On today's show, the hopes of non-South Korean StarCraft fans die a horrible and painful death at the WCS Finals. And in Counter-Strike Global Offensive, France's Team Envious wins the final major tournament of the year and cements their reputation as perhaps the best team in the world. But first, we have to talk about the landmark victory of SK Telecom T1 in the League of Legends World Championship as they became the first team ever to win a second world championship. Yeah, this was like a really interesting finals to me because it felt like to me uh, this was more of a story about uh, Koo Tigers getting second place than it was a story about SKT getting first place because the final felt like a, uh, like a foregone conclusion even to the Koo Tigers. Uh, to me, it felt like the Koo Tigers... Uh, like they showed up trying not to get embarrassed. Uh, it was it was hard not to get a sense from them that they had already achieved everything they could possibly hope for from this tournament, uh, which was the first Worlds they had ever been to since forming this new team. Uh, and so it was almost like they went out there trying to make sure that this stayed like a positive experience for them. Like they didn't get embarrassed or anything like that. It's like they wanted to focus on how great it was that they finished second rather than how sad they would be if that they lost on this the biggest stage imaginable. I mean, like, I, I can't think that I'm alone in thinking that Koo Tigers, like, played it really, really safe in this series, right? Like, to the extent that they seemed like they were playing it safe even when they knew that meant that they would lose. Yeah, it's difficult to say, like, you know, at what point does playing it safe just become playing, like, badly and passively? Because that was mm. kind of the... That was kind of where Koo Tigers ended up. And... You know, it it was it was an interesting series because there were flashes of of greatness from, from Koo Tigers where you started to think like this might might become a real series. Uh, you know, SK Telecom came into this heavily heavily favored. There's there's very little question throughout this throughout this world's whether or not SK Telecom would be able to get a second championship. Uh, and they definitely sort of set a tone early by going right at Koo Tigers and uh, playing a really aggressive uh, first game where Koo Tigers just ended up folding folding up. Uh, you know, 15 minutes into uh, the, the the first game of, of the of the final, the Koo Tigers were were basically shattered, and uh, it, it was it was kind of a, a foregone conclusion that the first game w- would go to SK Telecom. And, uh, you know, they, they bounced back from that. And the second game, the second game, if you're Koo Tigers, I think it's the second game that's, that's really going to haunt you. Because in game two, SK Telecom kind of did the Koo Tigers a favor by playing the kind of game the Koo Tigers want to play. Uh, SK Telecom right. were 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 splitting up. They were they were trying to grab ganks. They were they were getting into getting into like two v two fights, uh, and the Koo Tigers are are really really good at that. Whereas SK Telecom's strength t- has tended to be in these really sort of uh, mechanically perfect, um, almost almost stately processional games uh, to victory, <laughs> where it's very hard to get any one of these guys alone. Uh, so you can start to so you can start to uh, get, get an edge. SK Telecom didn't do that in the second game, and it really played in the in the Koo Tigers' favor. Uh, the the Koo Tigers were off to a really good start. They were they were dominating in kills. Uh, they were opening up a lead, but it was like they were as surprised as anyone that they found themselves <laughs> in the lead of a game at Worlds, and. You know, I think 
maybe like to, what, what you're sort of reacting to that that feeling that they were there not to get embarrassed comes from this passivity when Koo Tigers started getting these early kills they should have been thinking okay well what 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 objectives can we can we take off the back of this like what you know it's early in the game so the, the death timers aren't very long so you don't get you don't get a long period on the map where you're going to be able to enjoy a numerical advantage. The SK players that the Koo Tigers were killing were coming right back out on the map. So, yes, the, it was limited in, in what you could achieve, but you could definitely, like, you know, push towers, knock knock them down a little bit, uh, at least in terms of health. Uh, you know, maybe maybe set up a maybe set up a dragon. Koo Tigers didn't really do any of that. And so the game just started getting later and later. And eventually, you know, with, with a team like SK, if they've given you a couple mistakes, they're not going to give you more. That's not going to keep right. happening. Uh, right. So what ended up happening was SK Telecom kind of kind of buckled down and Koo Tigers hadn't really improved their position in any meaningful ways. And for me, like just the most upsetting thing, uh, it, it was just absolutely infuriating, was... Um, I think the entire like the lead was narrowing because SK were were starting to pick up momentum, but they were still a little bit behind, and the game had gone pretty far without anyone getting a dragon. And this was this was upsetting to watch because if you're Koo Tigers, you know a dragon attempt has to be coming soon. Both both teams were were basically in the mid lane, uh, starting to do that sort of fencing. Uh, that the teams do trying to position uh, around the upcoming dragon attempt. Who's going to go in? Who's not? And it appeared like Koo Tigers were, were were kind of trying to invite SK. Hey, go in and try to grab that dragon. Try to get the the first uh, the the first dragon buff, uh, basically. And the thinking there, Koo Tigers, like if you're doing that as Koo Tigers, one of two things has to happen. Either you're waiting for them to go in on the dragon. And then you all engage and drop the hammer on them, right? So like mm -hmm. they're forced right. to take a position. They go into the bear, the, the dragon pit, and uh, you know you you know where they're going to be, and you can get a great engagement and hopefully clean house. Or, or you can surrender the dragon, uh, which I think at that point in the game would have been a questionable decision either way because the, those dragon buffs uh, are are really important for for these teams. It, it gives you a pretty significant bonus uh, to to your to your characters across the team. Uh, as you accumulate dragons, but still, you could surrender the first dragon and go push a tower in in mid or or better top, uh, and, and so just sort of exchange uh, you know the dragon for position. Koo Tigers opted for a novel strategy of doing neither. Uh, it was. <laughs> It was it was astonishing. Like, and it, this is all early in the morning, right? So I, I'm watching this, and this is the moment where, like, you know, your coffee just turns to ash in your mouth uh, because, <laughs> like, SK just wander out of mid lane and clearly are heading, clearly are heading to Dragon, and you're waiting. Okay, Koo's gonna hear. Okay, what's gonna happen? And the Dragon attempt starts, and Koo Tigers aren't doing anything they're kind of they're kind of <laughs> milling around in the mid lane like you know aw like awkward kids uh they're just they're they're, they're not taking a, a decisive a, a decisive action and i think eventually i think they did go i think they did go north i think they went to the top lane to push the turret and they didn't even do it they arrived too late <laughs> and by the time they were making their 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 attempt to push down that turret 
SK had the dragon, they were done, and they were fanning out again to resume li- the, their positions. Uh, and so, right. and so Ku had to back off. And it's stuff like that, you know, it was, it, it, it's just infuriating. This was, this was passive play and it was really bad play. This is kind of, this is kind of basic stuff and it's astonishing to see yeah. a team miss it in a final. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned that, like, this game, too, was really, like, the moment that they were going to look back and, and just not be able to sleep at night when they thought about it. But honestly, like, I I, thought, I felt that way about the entire series because SK Telecom got themselves into horrible positions in the first five minutes every single game. I mean, game four, I think, was the exception. Yeah. But in games one, two, and three, the first five minutes were dominated by Ku Tigers. And then it, it was almost, like, spooky. You would watch the... Like the 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 gold counter that kind of provides a rough uh, a, a rough analogy for like a scoreboard. It's whichever, whichever team is up on gold is technically winning the game, and so Ku Tigers would get up by like a thousand gold really easy or really early and get this really like decisive advantage early on in the game. A thousand gold really early in the game is a huge deal, and then it would stay at a thousand gold for the next fifteen minutes. Right, it becomes like less they, and less important. Yeah, like it becomes less and less important, and normally like the way MOBAs are set up is like you should, if you get a gold lead, your characters are more powerful. Therefore, you should be able to take other advantages and get a, a bigger lead. They're kind of snowballing in that respect, unless the other team does something to stop you. And SK Telecom didn't even have to really do that much. They just started playing really, really standard, really, really perfectly. And Ku Tigers just never went out and got that advantage from those advantages that they took. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, they squandered some real opportunities because I think... Uh, you know, SK's Marin, I, I think, had an unusually mediocre day. Um, he, he looked good in game in game four, but that's meaningless. Like SK Tele- like everyone looked good in in, in game four <laughs> on SK Telecom. Like at a certain point in game four, uh, you could have like subbed out like one of the SK players for you or me, and we would have looked like freaking geniuses up there. That's just because that's just because they're going like full Harlem Globetrotters yeah. on on uh, on Ku Tigers, but. You know, Marin Marin was having a, a tough uh, a tough day, and uh, and Smeb uh, with 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 Ku was was playing really really well, and and so there there were opportunities there, uh, and and they just they weren't seized. Now, the difference is that in Game Three, you almost saw a repeat of what happened in Game Two, where SK is again sort of playing a game that the Ku Tigers want to play. And this time, Ku Tigers basically did everything right. They, uh, they, they, they did play aggressively. They, they did start uh, taking the exchanges. They did start dominating objectives, and they, and they really ran the table on, on SK Telecom. But then you come to Game Four, and I think Game Four is really important to look at because this is what happened when SK Telecom had lost a game and decided they were done screwing around. Mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. and I definitely think that. Had they wanted to, SK could have played the entire series like that. Uh, they they opened playing a different, a, a less conservative style, uh, in in part maybe because it's a little more fun to play aggressively. Maybe they wanted to beat Koo at, at their at their own game. Maybe you know maybe they had somewhere to be, uh, but <laughs> they they were playing a less conservative style in in the first three games. Uh, and you know to be fair, Koo Tigers were only able to punish them once for it. Uh, after that game three, where Ku Tigers seem to have found their feet and and now like have demonstrated they know how to play that kind of game, they're they're excelling at it. SK come into game four, and they play this really infuriatingly uh, 
slow, measured, conservative style of play. And the frustrating thing for if for anyone who's sort of hoping for, for a good series is that Koo Tiger saw it happening. And and this is I think where 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 I think maybe you've hit the nail on the head. Koo Tiger saw it happening. They knew how they, they knew what kind of game SK Telecom were playing. And they didn't they didn't try to break out of it. And that was mm-hmm. that was that was really upsetting. You know, it was like, okay, so you've made the decision here to lose slowly. You know, if if SK plays these stately processional types of games, Ku Tigers were apparently like content losing in this really dignified, methodical fashion. Except it's not the same, right? There was nothing dignified about it. Um, it mm-hmm. was just watching like. You know, it was it was like it was like watching a spider like bundle up its prey uh, in, in a web, and so like throughout game four, you're seeing SK offering exchanges. Okay, so we're going to push bottom lane, and Ku Tigers at that point like they're either they either have to fight or they need to go and try to push a different lane. They wouldn't do it, so SK kept mm-hmm. offering these these trades, and Ku Tigers just kept failing to convert on their end. Uh, and so, like, it was, it was like all these like one-sided trades for SK, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, by the end of by by the, the by the midpoint of that game, the power differential between these two teams was was just colossal, and uh, it was just kind of a you know, it was, it was kind of a, of a, da- a damp squib of an ending where you're just you're just waiting for SK to yeah. uh, get checkmate. And you know, like I feel like the 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 facts of the series, the strategy of the series is almost like you know we've kind of almost like feel a little bored by it because it wasn't that it wasn't that exciting, it wasn't that interesting. And and like to me, like the major thing that's interesting about this is like Faker's role, Faker being the mid like the star player mid laner of SK Telecom now being the only I think or no one of only three like repeat champions on all three of them on SK Telecom um, uh, in League of Legends. You know, like, what is his his role now in, like, the history of esports? Is this, like, a guy who is now, like, a like a StarCraft legend, like, Boxer, or a uh, Quake legend, like, Fatality, or something like that? Like, what is his his legend at this point? There's something I'm a little uncomfortable with, just in general, maybe about esports, but particularly as regards Faker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, everything tends to become a meme. And hmm. I think Faker's greatness became a meme. Uh, like, really? Okay. Yeah, and that's not to say that's not to say he's not a brilliant player. But you remember in when they won in 2013, there was like you know things Faker does. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And there's there's a tendency sort of to hand wave away, uh, like the specifics of, of of Faker's play. I think Faker. Yeah, Faker is absolutely a legend. Uh, it, it's it's not just that he's he's great in mid lane. He's a great player who uh, can absolutely like win these one v one. Basically, he, he can he can basically bully people out of lane, uh, completely control the, the jungle and the lane around him. Uh, also, like he's he's kind of one of the older guys on the team. He's sort of one of the people who sort of set the tone for for SK. Uh, that said. That said, I personally feel like Faker in 2013 was a more exciting and more dominant player than Faker in 2015. Uh, and, you know, it like, and, and that might not be to take anything away from him. Like, competition level is, uh, you know, in some ways, in, in some ways higher uh, th- this year. Uh, people yeah. have been going to school on, on SK for ages. People have been going to school on Faker. 
uh, for ages. But in 2013, Faker was having one of those years where he was a true carry, where there were just games where he just decided, no, we're going to win here, and <laughs> here's and I'm I'm the one to do it. And like a perfect example of that is um like when when he was on when when he used to play like Gragas, um, Gragas can be a little tricky to play because his skill shots unfold so slowly you got to like watch that little barrel animation rolling down the lane and everything <laughs> sure, uh, sure so so it's difficult to do uh except faker had a weird ability to anticipate uh where people mm-hmm. would be and so like people would just sort of like impale themselves on faker skill shots sure. uh, and it, it'd be sort of astonishing you saw you, you didn't see quite the, the the same amount of fireworks and you know yeah faker would make great plays but at the same time, it was in the context of he's got this dominant team around him, so yeah. he can just show yeah. up and and drop the hammer. So in some ways, maybe it's the difference between um, maybe it's like in twenty like in twenty thirteen, like Faker is basically LeBron James during his first stint with the Cavs, where it's like it's completely his show, you know. And he he had some great players around him. He had he had, he had Piglet and. Uh, and, and Pooh Mandu, but but it was definitely the Faker show. This year it was it was the SK show and and Faker I think has ascended to this uh this grand old man status. Right, right, right. Yeah, and you know, I think that in general there's an there's a tendency in esports to focus just on like the moment to moment skill of a player. Uh because that's like the most relatable thing to someone who just plays online and someone who's kind of a casual fan, and you can see the brilliance of the play right there. And it's not quite as exciting or sexy to focus on like the gamesmanship of a veteran who just knows how to bring a game home and who knows how to win three out of five games. Uh, and that's something that I really feel I feel very strongly about with veterans. And maybe that's something that, that gets a little bit overlooked uh, with Faker. Uh, but, you know, while SK Telecom and Faker were dominating the world's finals this year, uh, half a million people were tuned into DreamHacked Kluge Napoka watching Counter-Strike Global Offensive as Team Envious took down Na'Vi in dominant fashion to come away with the lion's share of the quarter million dollar prize pool uh and you know at this point they really made a compelling case for being the best team in the world right now uh and maybe that seems like kind of an obvious thing to say like that the team that won the big tournament this weekend is the best team in the world um but that's not necessarily the case in, in Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And that's, been, that's because Team Fnatic uh, has been so dominant over the past year that even when somebody else wins a big tournament, most of the time people still turn around and say, you know, like, well, you know, isn't that good for you? That you did, you did a good. But Fnatic is still the best in the world. Don't, you know, mind your place. Uh, but now we've got Team Envious has won like three of the pa- of the last six big tournaments since coming in second place at ESL One Cologne in August, uh, and Envy even beat Fnatic in one of those finals. And you know Fnatic has been doing great this year in the ongoing ESL ESEA Counter Strike Pro League, uh, but in tournaments, you know, it's been all Envious. Yeah, and definitely, you know, I'm not sure you can pick a clear winner in 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 Counter-Strike right now because the tendency has been uh since the summer for for so many good teams to sort of trade among themselves but i think you have to acknowledge that sort of the late summer and the the early fall has absolutely uh belonged to belonged to envious and i think for me what what sets envious apart really is is lately they are the full package 
mm-hmm. and you have players who bring different things to the table. And uh, one of my favorite players on Envious right now, for instance, is uh, is NBK. And he's sort of mm-hmm. been my favorite for a right. while, uh, perhaps because I relate the most to his to to his skill set. Uh, it's it's the thing I can understand the most. Whereas if you see like when uh, when Envious's Kiyoshima really turns it on, he's doing things that I just don't understand. Right? He's you know he's <laughs> yeah, he's getting yeah, the, yeah. he's making those skill shots uh, and reacting to things at this blinding pace that I can't even really figure out how he's doing it, but. You know, if he's if he's if he's Paul or John in the Envious Beatles, uh, I definitely think like NBK is you know the George. And, sure, uh, sure. And you know, NB, <laughs> NBK is this just he's this really skilled player, but but he's also plays this backbone role because he is able to sort of dominate positions for Envious that free up the rest of his team to roam a little bit. So NBK has this great ability to just sort of read the, the, the direction of a match and, and where the rotations are happening. And so if you watch a lot of times, like NBK, like gets these really critical kills because he's just waiting for people to come around the corner, but it's not like he's camping. He just recognizes when the motion, when the other team has gone into motion and he'll maneuver. And so guys will just step out and NBK is waiting for them and he'll just gun them down again and again Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so you know i think like they have these they they have these two strengths one is that everyone on envious uh nobody's nobody's phoning it in so basically everyone's everyone's playing well and then one or two of them are just going to go become like they're going to play on fire out of their minds and then you also have a player like nbk who can play a different kind of game than the rest of Envious. You know, if the rest of Envious are playing sort of classic, like, you know, just just go in, uh, you know, get the land land the shots better than the other guys, uh, react quicker. NBK is the guy who sort of lets you play the map uh, a little more rather than mm-hmm. play the man, if that makes sense. Right. No, it does. And, you know, I think that this final in particular was an audit of exactly that disparity that you had mentioned of, of envious being the total package versus uh, their opponents in this final navi being a, a team that is seems very focused around really their their star sniper uh, guardian where it seemed like every game every match where guardian was playing well then navi just dominated and when when guardian got on a hot streak that was it it, it was lights out but envious was just sort of was just sort of steadying the course and when you know, when Guardian couldn't show up, they could just roll over them. And I think that they're actually very similar to Fnatic in that regard, in that Envious and Fnatic are really the only two teams out there that have that total package feel to them. You know, Virtus Pro maybe has a, has a similar thing going on as well. I actually really like that team, and I hope they're able to do better in the future. Um, but yeah, it, it does come down to, like... I. I also like love Envious because I love watching that style of play. Like I'm not as interested in Counter-Strike for the pure Twitch skill of it all. I like to like watch the minimap and watch the rotations of the team. I like to watch uh, how this like this positional play and the strategy of the map comes into play. And and that to me was like really stark this uh, this weekend because I, I ended up watching a lot of the map Train and and Train is. I've just decided at the end of this weekend that I just hate Train. I can't stand this map. And it's like for two very specific reasons. Um, 
You know, first of all, it's like I, I like watching that sort of positional play, not so much uh, being about Twitch uh, mechanics. And Train, to me, just doesn't feel like a map that, as much as the others, like something like Dust, rewards that sort of positional play. Like, I, I feel like Train is all about getting to a mid-level distance, having a rifle, and, and, just, and just winning the gun down battle. You never see... Uh, like these utility items that people bring out, like smoke and Molotov cocktails to slow down different pushes or, or counter different types of things. Wait, uh, I, I think, see, that that's that's weird because I, I actually really disagree with that. Uh, I, I think Train ends up being maybe one of the one of the more positionally static uh, maps in the pool right now. Uh, I, I, I feel like maybe train does like encourage more reaction shots just because one team tends to be playing super defensively while the other has to sort of break into the bomb sites uh, because train both the bomb sites are basically shooting galleries and so the team that's sort of like holding the bomb site uh is really just trying to identify where the other guys are going to come in from and then uh you know as as you saw navi doing quite adeptly uh, at this tournament uh they just sort of identify where the push is coming from they immediately collapse uh, into a defensive position and just mow these people down uh, as they sort of come pouring into the train yard. But I don't think that's necessarily... I don't think that makes it just a... I, I don't think that makes it a less... Uh, like, a, a less tactical map, a, a, as it were. Uh, I, I feel like, in the end, it actually becomes a little more uh, about where where you guys are set up before before you before you make your push. Uh, whereas I feel like I feel like other maps, for instance, uh, dust, cobble, uh, things like that, are a little bit more about forcing teams to choose. Uh, you know, I, I feel like in, in, in train, in train, it, it feels a lot more like you have matches that are uh, irresistible force meets immovable object. Sure, yeah. and I feel like other maps don't operate this way. You know, it, it's just like my favorite type of Counter-Strike is when there's just a, a really tight choke point and both teams know exactly where, where that where the, each other are and they're both just trying to either get through that choke point or stop the other team to get through that choke point. Like that, that's the that's the Counter-Strike that is simple enough for me to understand because I'm, I'm kind of a novice with the whole sport, at least com in comparison to like casters or analysts, obviously. Um and like train to me is just it's open enough like the, the the train yard itself is massive and there's so many different ways that you can get through or you can hide in the in the in the train yard and so something like cobble or, or dust it's just like you know so many of the choke points in dust are actually two feet across yes <laughs> and and to actually get through them uh it requires a, a really sound strategy to be able to pull that off and but you know and it comes down to a couple something else that i've noticed on train that really really bothers me is that I feel like it's such a streaky map because of like the medium range depth of, of the most encounters tend to be either at medium or long range. And that rewards uh, rifles and sniper rifles. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when a team gets down and they can only afford pistols, it really just gets worse and worse and worse because there's really it's like there's no way to get back into it for them. Yeah. Yeah, there's there, there's definitely that element. Although, I I feel like in general, uh, there's a lot of there. I I feel like in general it can be really brutal, especially for the CT side. Uh, once you sort of fall behind in economy, I, I feel like I, I I see it a lot where the counter terror side is doing really really well, like dominating around. 
mm-hmm. and then it just takes a few bad rounds, and suddenly, you know, it's like, where where did all the guns go? Like, yeah. like what what happened? Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it sort of feeding off of that, like I the, I fell I fallen in love with Cobble uh, recently because when you watch teams play on Cobble, there's just this like plethora of different weapons they're willing to use. Like out for, for the first time, you're you're seeing shotguns, you're seeing these tiny little SMGs that you never see get used before because the map is so varied, and you can you can just use the map in so many different ways and position players in certain ways where they can play a type of specialist role where a shotgun is a viable thing. And I just I'm so entranced by that. I'm so by the different choices that teams get to make whereas you talk about something like train and you'll just see the entire team load out with ak-47s except for maybe one player who has an awp sniper rifle uh it's and that that just kind of drives me crazy personally yeah uh, i definitely did i felt like after uh navi didn't win on train they'd shot their bolt uh i yeah. absolutely felt like their entire like because they knew they weren't really on the same level as envious and so like you could tell that after train slipped away from them they knew they were done because it was the only map where they could really uh match up well against navi it was the only map where things would be static enough that they could just sort of shoot guys as they as they as they came (laughs) as they came in uh and the moment you were you were playing a slightly more dynamic map uh you saw navi was just not in the same league as uh as envious uh, so there's still a great deal of Counter-Strike coming up in the next month or so uh, with no less than four tournaments with a $100,000 prize pool or greater. So we'll see if Envy can keep it rolling or if Fnatic can regain their form. Uh, meanwhile, over in StarCraft, we had the round of 16 in the end-of-year WCS BlizzCon Finals. And it was an odd mix at an odd time in Heart of the Swarm. This is kind of a uh, this is a dead game walking. It's it's yeah, on its way yeah, out. Yeah. Most of the most of the pros have transitioned to Legacy of the Void. So really, it's only these finalists uh, who are still playing uh, Heart of the Swarm competitively. So we we ended up with a lot of like three zero beatdowns and some players who just didn't seem to show up. But then there were some fantastic series that went the full distance. Yeah, you know this. There was, there was. I think there was like two series that went the whole distance. This to me, I, I don't know if I even necessarily agree that they were either fantastic series. Like this to me was like not the best StarCraft weekend that I've ever seen. It was like it was almost all three to zero matches, like you said. And like to me, the most memorable and interesting matches were when somebody just completely collapsed and we got to see a good old fashioned stomping. You know, the the, the most obvious example of, of that was uh, Life versus Little oh, Boy. Um, <laughs> you can hear that's that's that says it all right there like this was one of the most spectacular stompings i've ever seen uh and there was a lot of disappointment surrounding this match because Lilbo is a french player uh which positioned positioned him as sort of like the great hope for non-korean fans he's the only player in this tournament from not from south korea uh and and like this his his performance here was like honestly honestly embarrassing uh, and not because he lost but because he publicly confessed that he wasn't trying. Like he even said in the recorded interview, like the hype video before the match, he, that he wasn't preparing for this match because he didn't see the point because Legacy of the Void, the expansion pack to StarCraft II, uh, was coming out in like a month. So why bother? Um, which just like, it's one thing to deliberately put on a bad show for selfish reasons. Uh, it's wholly another to just admit that publicly. Uh, but, you know, something really interesting happened because of that. Um you know, if you listen to the pregame recorded hype video that they did for uh, Lilbo's opponent, Life, there's this clip where Life says, 
we don't know what prompted the, him to say this, but he says, wait, Lilbo said what? And it's pretty, it's pretty clear to me that, that the interview crew asked Life what he thought about Little Bo not training for this match. And Life kind of like acted incredulous, like, what are you talking about? He's not training for this. What, what kind of fool would do that? This is probably the greatest chance he'll ever have in his career to make a show on the world stage. Um, and, and it seemed to me like Life clearly exploited that information in the series, that he, knowing that Little Bo wasn't training. So, because given that information, Life would then have known that Lilbo wouldn't have any special builds prepared for him, uh, and likely no map-specific strategies either. So he would know that Lilbo would basically do like his tried-and-true signature strategies. He would just come out and just do the builds he already knows and then just like put on a show. Um, and so life just picks him apart in this series because he literally knows exactly what Lilbo is going to do every time. And it's not like I think it was cheating or something like that for the camera crew to tell life what Lil Bo said. Um, but it is still interesting context to understand why life made the choices he made in that series to essentially just all in attack really early over and over and over again. Yeah. So Lil Bo's getting killed over this uh, online. It's interesting. Like to have him publicly come out and say that as the only non Korean player at BlizzCon, uh, he basically tanked the tanked the tournament uh, to mm-hmm. focus on Legacy of the Void. Is a really it's a really terrible thing to say uh, <laughs> if you're trying to build fans or get people excited or get people to care about you right. at all. Like you don't have the scene. Like you know what isn't a scene in Rocky. The scene where Rocky <laughs> goes to the reporters and is like, "Yeah, well, Apollo Creed, he's really good, and I'm just a Palooka from Philly, so." Yeah, I've just been sort of hanging out on the couch with my girlfriend uh, or, or t- chatting her up in a pet shop. And, you know, I guess we'll see how it goes. That didn't happen in Rocky. Uh, and so, like, at least at least if you're going to lose, like, look like, look like you give a damn. And mm-hmm. you're the only, like, you're the only non-Korean who made it to BlizzCon. Like, everyone was behind this guy at the end of, of the WCS Finals. And then to say, well, I didn't. I've been practicing Heart of the Swarm because that game's that game's done. I'm focusing on my on my future, which I'm sure will be very bright. Given this, <laughs> uh, I'm focusing on my future in in Legacy of the Void. That said, I do kind of wonder to what degree are we just like? Did we just witness a full like player mentality meltdown here? Like, was he bargaining with himself? Like, to explain why he wasn't, like, because he knew he was going to get murdered either way. Oh, probably. yeah, maybe. Is he is yeah. he getting killed because basically he un- unveiled the strategy that he used to insulate himself from this failure? Yeah, you know, that, I mean, that's entirely possible. Like, he, he could just have mentally told himself, you know, a month before this match, I'm not going to train for this because it, it makes no sense. When really what was going on is that he was nervous and couldn't face the fact that he wasn't feeling confident going into this because he was playing against life. And life is, is, has been one of the best Zergs in the world for the past two years. Like he is an incredibly formidable opponent to play five games with. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Lil Bo, it's like the, the StarCraft community can handle and accept any number of like scandals and horrible things from their best players. Like we, there's just nothing, nothing but like insults and scandals over and over and over again with these, with these guys, like the picture Naniwa, there's always some Reddit thread about something horrible Naniwa did. Um, but like what they won't suffer 
is someone who doesn't try and suffer someone who doesn't put on a, at least an effort for the crowd. And like, that's something that Naniwa in particular has, has never lived down from his old that, days when he would just quit. Matches. That was the end. Like the, the, the time, the, the time he really like lost the end of his career, basically when he ir- irretrievably yeah. lost, uh, the, like his, it, like all of his fans, all his remaining defenders, his standing in the community was, uh, I want to say it was an ESL, uh, where he was sitting in the booth and just refused to play. Yeah. Uh, and just and just forfeited. And he later mm. made excuses like uh, he wasn't happy with some element of, of of the stage or the production or something like that. But like, you know, it, it was really like, listen, you're not you, you have no business playing the prima donna here. OK, like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got other great players in the booth. They're making it work uh, for him to basically say, I refuse to continue playing. That was the time that was when everyone was like, you know what? We can't forgive this. Like we will we'll put yeah. up with the bad manners. We'll put up with the meltdowns, uh, but to not to not give it your best, uh, to not even try. That is like StarCraft is the ultimate tryhard game, right? Like yep. just to get yep. there. Uh, like the only thing that unites everyone in StarCraft is the fact that it's this like <laughs> miserable like endurance test of character and will. Uh, love it, love it, love you, StarCraft. Uh, but yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. then to sort of say, well, but I don't have the willingness to do that. Uh, that's yeah. that, that's going to be tough, and I'm very curious so, to see uh, what, what the future holds for Lobo. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to just keep our eye on him, and I honestly, honestly I don't think it's I think he's gonna be pretty much get booed every time he goes up there for at least a year. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. I hope, I hope he's it, really good at Legacy of Void, man. <laughs> that better be true. Uh, but you know that wasn't the only the only series that got played this weekend, and we also saw like this. There was another series that was like a total heartbreaker for me because it was between like two of my fav- like my favorite players in the world, uh, between Polt and Rain. Um, and this was like I was so torn in this series like i couldn't decide if i was excited or just gutted that there was going to be a, like an like an andy gruen team kill going on here <laughs> uh, and it didn't really disappoint like it, it turned into like a, a really good series but ultimately like it turned into this series that like man pulled through this one away yeah uh it was it was a good series and it was some surprisingly old school starcraft I would say, mm-hmm. uh, right, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the fact that Paul was really committed to running these, uh, you know, th- these these bio strategies, these marine heavy strategies, uh, despite that that seems to be coming less and less efficient in in StarCraft. Uh, he's still trying to sort of get the, um, he's still tr- sort of trying to play like parade push bio, uh, mm-hmm. where you just like your economy booms up. And then you can just churn out like literal streams, like rivers of infantry marching across the map that just that just slowly wipe the player out. Uh, so he's still he's still trying to make that work, and he damn near did. And he you know he might have gotten away with it if not for uh, both of those those meddling kids, but <laughs> but also um, this weird proxy uh, th- this weird proxy build in, in game two that. I don't quite understand in in this context because it was yeah. it was very strange. So, okay, so proxy. If if you don't follow StarCraft regularly, proxy attacks, proxy proxy builds are basically you stash a unit producing building fairly close to the enemy's base, or at least a place that gives you a timing advantage, so your guys don't have as long a walk to get across the map and, and begin the attack. So you can really catch people out this way. Now there are other cases where you do it. And maybe this is what Paul was trying to do. You can sometimes put production buildings just in unusual locations 
mm-hmm. uh, both to hide them and sort of allow for a surprise. But what happened in game two was just really bizarre to me because Polt seemed to be saying, like, here I am, I'm playing against one of the greatest Protoss in StarCraft, uh, you know, across multiple different games. I'll bet I can totally have my cake and eat it too. Uh, I, you know, I bet I don't have to make any trade-offs. And so he, he builds uh, a bunch of barracks in the very northeast corner of the map. Uh, so basically, they're, they're cross-start. So Polt is in lower right, Rain is in upper left, and Polt builds a lot of production buildings uh at the right angle between those two bases right so he's you know he's he's across from the hypotenuse except then to to disguise the fact that those buildings are being built he then also builds a lot of production buildings in his main yeah at which point there's no not enough economy left there's no you can't like what what is, what is missing from this picture uh the units the units you need yeah. <laughs> to be able, like eventually, like yes, you very cleverly stash these barracks. Uh, what are you going to build out of them? Well, yeah. that that part he hadn't quite gotten around to, and making it worse was the fact that Rain was running a uh, he he was he was running a uh, proxy uh, starport, um, sorry Stargate, where he's got void rays uh, coming out, and so it was it was this really weird like. I don't know what Pult was trying to do there, because even if even if Rain hadn't been proxying, I don't understand how it was going to work out for his account. So, yeah, you know, I I think that my theory with that, I spent a little, an inordinate amount of time thinking about that particular game, uh, and my theory that I've come up with is that Rain is this is this famously amazing defensive player. He's like he's the kind of player who you'll throw any attack at him, or you throw any weird attack at him, and it'll, it'll and he'll be able to find a way to defend it no matter what. And so, like my theory with what Polt did there was that he, Rain could defend any reasonable strategy, so he had to come up with something unreasonable to just completely catch him off guard, something that sh- should never work. And and it may actually have been pulled off if if uh, if Rain wasn't going for this uh, for a similar proxy uh, and got into his base before Polt was ready to attack. Because if he had been allowed to do that, if he had been allowed to hide those buildings yeah. and then produce just tons and tons and tons and tons of units, there would have been a really strong timing for him to do. Even though this is a terrible idea uh, for someone, if if, some, if if Rain knew what he was doing, it would have been a terrible idea. But since it was disguised, he might have been able to get away with it. Yeah, I just uh, the decision to build both production at home and at that position uh, just seemed to to doom the entire thing. It would have it would have required like Rain to really give him an unusual amount of time. Uh, like, yeah. and I, oh, I just yeah. don't think you could count on that. So, and, and you know, maybe it's game two, right? So Proto, like, so, so Polt still thinks he's dealing with, um, maybe Polt is still intimidated a little bit too much by rain at that point and mm-hmm. is trying weird mm-hmm. stuff because the games get standard, uh, a little more standard at least from there. Uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in them, but I think they're a little more like your classic macro on macro, uh, clashes and Polt, Polt acquitted himself quite well in those games. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like I mentioned, this this match was kind of a heartbreaker for me. Uh, and it, what made it so much worse is that in the pregame hype videos, where they're like showing both of these players talk to each other, they're literally saying to the camera, "Well, I respect my opponent very much, and I think he's going to do very well in this series, and I just want to be friends afterwards." 
there was literally this moment where they're just they're talking about how much they just respect and love one another and i was like god damn it you guys are just the the best people and i want you both to win and then have cupcakes and tea afterwards yeah well i mean it's that they're too uh again the the sort of grand old man thing right these are these guys who've been around for a while uh they've won their championships and uh yeah i think it's i think it's just tough to tough to build that that personal antipathy uh, that sometimes makes a good uh, a good esports rivalry. Yeah, so this was uh, these were just two of the matches out of the round of sixteen. There were a bunch more that we don't have time to talk about, but we're coming up on the round of eight. Uh, but so with the conclusion of uh, StarCraft II's World Championship Series round of sixteen, that covers it for this week's esports today. Now let's talk about esports tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, we are looking forward to the round of eight in the WCS Global Finals, and I think we've got a lot of really amazing matchups to look forward to this week. Uh, SOS is facing Rain, uh, which is like this amazing battle of Protoss philosophies and play styles yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and but I, I really think the the crown jewel of this next round has to be uh like you know grandmaster Terran uh innovation uh taking on life <laughs> yeah no go i'm so excited to watch innovation versus life this is going to be so much fun because like innovation is the top player right now he's he's pretty much undisputed that he's the favorite to win this tournament uh but life is like it's funny to say this because I think he's 17 years old, but he is one of those 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 old men at this point in this in uh, in StarCraft because he's just competed so much and he's competed at the very top level for his entire two year career that he is such a like a wise competitor that even if he's not the necessarily the best player competitive like uh, mechanically I mean to say he'll always find a way to make it like a good series he's always going to figure out a way to compete mentally with his opponent. Yeah, this is this is one that I really hope uh, lives up to the billing. Now, I, I also hoped that last night uh, Sunday Night Football would live up to the billing. That was two undefeated teams, <laughs> uh, and it turned out to be twenty point blowout. And that that happens a lot in sports, right? Where it's like, sure, boy, this is gonna sure. be this is gonna be a great fight, and then someone gets blown away. And if I had to gamble, I would say that life is probably gonna get smoked. Uh, but again, like we talked about previously on the show. Life brings it to BlizzCon. Life shows up mm. for big tournaments. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he gets he gets his buff uh, when when the stakes are high enough. <laughs> and so I think you got this interesting this interesting clash between you know one of the truly great competitors, one of the, one of the great like primetime yeah. players of StarCraft in life, uh, versus just one of the most insightful and disciplined Terran players in the world. So this Absolutely. is this is the ZVT dream. Yeah, and you know what? This is if I had to guess, we're almost certainly going to see like the marquee StarCraft matchup, which is like Terran with these big clockwork rolling tank Thor like uh, mech armies versus like a, a Zerg that's just trying to poke holes in it and then jab and move and try to find holes in that strategy. Uh, and and it's it's really just a joy to watch, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to what they have in store for us. Uh, so that we'll have that coming up this weekend. Uh, then we'll also have. Uh, Heroes of the Storm and uh, Hearthstone World Championship events going on at the same time. So if you're a fan of Blizzard Esports, uh, dig in because it's going to be a long, long weekend. Uh, So that concludes this week's edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode and esports in general with our community at esports.today. We'd also love to do a listener mail segment soon, so drop us a line at questions at esports.today. Today I had a very important breakthrough. I figured out that the emails were being forwarded to the wrong address, so I promise (laughs) in the future uh, I will absolutely be reading your emails and answering them on the air. 
You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far and you have a few spare minutes, you can really help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and telling your esports buddies about us. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.